Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now today's message. My name is Pastor Chris. I will be bringing the Word of God to this morning to you. It's a pleasure to be in front of you this morning, and welcome. Joel will finish the Revelation series in the coming next couple weeks, so don't remember that, and then we'll have the one on the family and be in the family of God. Uh, this morning's passage of Scripture is from James chapter 1. We'll get there in a minute, but I want to welcome you. Don't forget, if you are here as a guest, thank you for being here Thank you for being a part of our service. There is a QR code on the seat back in front of you. If you click on that, take out your phone and click on that QR code, you can leave a praise, a prayer request. Our leaders in the church get those prayer requests every Monday through email, so we are praying for the things that you put in there. And if you have things in your life that are going on, we'd love to pray for you. If you're on Facebook or on our YouTube uh, feed, you can uh, put a comment in, in a pray, prayer request there in the comment section, or you can go to covenantexperience.com, and you can also click on there, and you can share with those, those praises, those prayer requests that you have. We love praying for you guys. The leadership of our church are deeply, uh, deeply moved by the prayer requests that we get to pray for, the things that we get to pray for in your lives, and we want to be able to do that on a regular basis, so please keep sharing those things with us, keep giving us those opportunities. If you don't have a phone and you don't go to Covenant Experience, if you want to, you can go out, there are blue cards out there, you can fill one of those out and put them on the blue card and give them to one of our people in our lanyards. If you have questions, look for the people with the lanyards, they'll take care of you this morning. So let's get to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. This is this is one of those passages of Scripture that you have kind of a love-hate relationship with. Do you all know what I mean by that? You love it because of what it says, but you also hate it because of what it says because it's kind of hard pill to swallow. Because how many of us like tests? Anybody? Oh, Nelson, come on. <laughs> sure, Nelson. How, really, nobody likes tests. I, I hated tests as a kid. I, I hated tests in school, and for some reason, I decided to get my master's degree. So I went through eight years of school, and, and I, I, I don't know why. I hate tests. And I, I figured out one year, finally, when I got to seminary, I finally figured out. I went through my you know, high school. I went through my bachelor's degree. I got to seminary, and I figured out why I hated tests. I have a terrible short-term memory. I have a pretty good, not great, but pretty good long-term memory where I can think, remember things long-term. So when it came to tests and you studied for a test, and usually when you study for a test, you spend time cramming for that test and you spend time just putting all the knowledge in your head and then you go put it on the test, I didn't have the ability to do that. And I figured out why one year, my first year of seminary, because I had a roommate named Ronnie Hill. Ronnie is an evangelist, he's, he's a great guy. And, and, and one day I walked into our, our living room in our apartment and I was like, what are you doing? He says, I'm studying for a test. And I was like, oh, really? He says, yeah, I'm going to get it all down real quick. I'm like, what do you mean? He, sa he says, I'll, I said, how do you think you'll do it? He's like, I'll, I'll probably ace it. I'm like, what? And he says, I, 
God's gifted me with a credible short-term memory. He said, so I study for tests the morning of. I can go take the test. I can put everything down on the test, and I'll ace it. No problem. I said, you're kidding me. And then I found out, I saw it one day displayed. We were at a youth event, youth rally at a buddy of mine's church that was a youth pastor, and he had about 200, or not 200, about 100 youth in the audience. And he, Ronnie was there to speak to this youth group. And Ronnie was standing over the side, and I knew some of the kids, and we grabbed a couple kids that knew all the kids. And Ronnie said, all right, go through one by one down the rows and tell me everybody's name. And so he went down, went through one by one. All these kids are like, that kid's Matt, that's James, that's Angela, that's, and went through all the names on all the kids in all the rows. Ronnie gets up there to speak. And he says, all right, I want to do something. Everybody stand up. And when I say your name and I point to you, I say your name, sit down. And he starts going down, boom, 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 boom. And he says everybody's name. And every now and then he does a little trick where he'll leave one to stand in there. And he'll go about 10 down and go, oh, by the way, you're so-and-so. And he just, and I was like, what? And Ronnie would do this all the time. I'm like, how do you do that? He says, I have this incredible short-term memory. He says, but if you ask me a name of one of those kids, two hours after the event, I have no clue what their name is. And I'm like, wow. And so I was in there and I'm like, that's why he did so well on tests. And that's why I figured out I'd do badly on tests. I have a terrible short-term memory. But if you ask me a week, two weeks after the test, I could probably take that test and ace it. The day of the test, I'm not I'm going to do okay or bomb it. Very rarely ace it. But we're all put to the test, aren't we? We all face tests every day. It's not just in school you face tests. And here's the thing. we got to learn to ace the tests. And that's what I want to help y'all do this morning. I want to help y'all understand why, the way God has given us the ability to ace every test, every trial. And when we talk about tests, we talk about trials, we talk about persecution. We talk about anything and everything that is adverse to us that keeps us from being fully what God wants us to be and allows us, we are able to look at things a little bit differently. As a follower of Christ, we're able to look at tests a little bit differently. Now, the book of James is... Near and dear to my heart, one of the first books when I was a teenager that I actually went through and did a deep dive study into. This first two verses, first few verses of Scripture in James chapter 1 in my senior year of high school was plastered on a piece of paper in my locker in high school. And I had it up there to remind myself, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It's one of the first passages of Scripture I memorized. Now, I don't memorize it in the ESV. I don't even memorize remember what translation of the Bible? It's probably NIV that I memorized it in, but I can, you know, I can quote the verse. And I take, in, take some liberties as I've studied the Scripture. I've added words into it and stuff, but I love this verse. It's one of my favorite passages. Consider it pure joys, my brothers, when you chase files, trials of many kind, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you are full and complete, lacking nothing. Whoa. James is writing this, we call it a letter, <clears throat> and it starts out kind of like a letter. You know, he has the salutation, he introduces himself, and he says the right things about a letter, but it has no other structural forms of a letter like one of the letters that Paul would write to one of the churches. It, it really doesn't have any structural form. It's really more of, along the lines of wisdom literature, like a Proverbs. 
is what it's like. It's little snippets of wisdom throughout. It talks about taming the tongue. Oh, that's a good one. It talks about what to do with widows and orphans. Whoa, that's a good one. So he goes through and he gives you little snippets of saying, saying, here's how to live the Christian life. Here's how to be a follower. And he's writing to people who have been outside, who live outside of Jerusalem and Palestine, who are facing trials and persecution all the time. They are in the weeds with it because they are followers of Christ. They're probably Jewish, but in their communities, they're being ostracized because now they don't follow the Jewish religion, they are Christians and probably are having a hard time in their businesses that they have and and things that they're going through. And they're probably being, uh, you know, they may have a flourishing business before they became a Christian. They become a Christian, they start following Jesus and start doing things a little bit differently. Then all of a sudden, all the patrons who are Jewish that they used to have are not there anymore because now the Jews, the Jewish people in that time and the people in his communities would not have anything to do with those businesses anymore because now they're followers of Christ. So they're facing tremendous persecution. They're facing tests all the time. And and James doesn't hold back. He starts out pretty powerfully. It's not a simple greeting, how you doing, thank Jesus, like Paul would do. It's not a long salutation. He comes, he dives, deep dives right into it, into this life. And so he talks about testing of the faith. Now, there are reasons we are tested as followers of Christ. Okay, so I'm going to give you eight reasons we are followed or tested as followers of Christ, and then we're going to talk about the passage in depth about how what James gives us to prescribes to us to help us in those testings. So, biblical reasons for being tested: Why do we have tests as followers of Christ? Why do we face trials? Why do we face testing? Why do we go through the things that we go through? The first thing I'm going to say to you is the test to test the strength of our faith. How strong is your faith? You won't know until it's tested. Trials can show the Christians their strengths and their weaknesses and where their faith truly lies. If someone goes through the trial, it does not come out stronger, but comes out bitter, resentful, and with self-pity. We can see that their faith in Christ was not truly there. We can see this testing of the faith and strength of people in them, and like Job, who no matter what he went through, kept putting his faith and trust in God and trusting God throughout the trial. Even when his best friends were telling him, curse God and die, when his wife told him, curse God and die, he didn't. You can see it in Habakkuk or even Moses in the trials that he went through with the people of Israel and leading them through the desert. And every time he was tested, he would come off the mountain and they would be doing something stupid. And he's like, here we go again. So it's to test our faith or strengthen our faith and to see those signs of strengths and those signs of weaknesses in our faith. The second reason for testing is to humble us. To remind us not to allow our strength in the Lord to turn to a presumptuous self-satisfaction. In other words, you don't need to think you are better than you really are. Okay? 
Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming <laughs> conceited. To humble us. Paul, an apostle, had a thorn in the flesh. Do we know what the thorn is? I have my assumptions. I won't get into those today. But it was something to keep him from getting boastful, to getting arrogant. Third reason we have go through biblical testing is to wean us from dependence on worldly things. The more we accumulate things, the more we accumulate knowledge, the more we accumulate education or prestige or money, the more we allow us to become more strengthened by what we have and what we can do, we tend to trust God less. Look at the feeding of the 5,000. Philip looks at Jesus and says, Lift up, lifting up his eyes, then he, Jesus does this, lifting up his eyes, then seeing the large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said to the test, test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. See, Philip was looking at the worldly strength, the abilities of money to do the job of what Jesus was asking them to do. The tangible things that they had, the ability to grab those things and have those things and to, be, and to rely on that stuff. And, and Jesus is like, let me see where his, his, his faith really is in me. And he says this, hey, let's give them something to eat. And Philip's like, hey, it would cost us too much money. We don't have that. To give them a little bit. And Jesus goes on and feeds the 5,000 to show it's not worldly things that you have that gives you strength. It's Jesus. The fourth reason, to call us to an eternal and heavenly hope. Paul tells the church at Rome, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Trials come so that we don't look to earthly things as our reward. Trials come so that we can look to God and to heaven as our eternal reward. Number five, to reveal what we really love. Oh, this one's a tough one. What do you really love? We see this in Abraham, who is willing to sacrifice his own son, who he loved because God told him to. Uh, I got two boys. I got a daughter. Uh, you asking me to sacrifice? Man, that's going to be a hard pill to swallow for me. And I'm sure for each one of you, because you all love your kids. But what do you love more? And who do you trust more in those situations? You trust in God or you trust in what you see? That's a hard pill to swallow. What do you really love? It may be something you own, some possession you have, something that you, that you really wanted, you bought it, and it's now it's, you got to have it, and you got to have it, and you get it, and it's like, a, 
I love this thing. I'm not going to give it up. Well, you might have to sometime. Not telling you will, not saying you should necessarily, but God may do something to test you to see if you are truly really in love with him or really in love with that. Six, to teach us the value of God's blessing. Our intellectual reasons tell us the value of things of the world and our senses tell us the value uh, in, in pleasure and ease or import, to value pleasure and ease. But through trials, faith tells us to value the spiritual things, the things of God with which we have, he has blessed us with abundantly, including his word, his care, his provision, his strength, and of course, ultimately, his salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. David valued the blessings of God. Psalms chapter 63, verses 3 through 7, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift my eyes. My soul will be satisfied with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing joy. He saw God's blessings as the most valuable things that he could have. And that's the way we should. We should value the blessings that God has given us. And sometimes testing comes to see if we truly do value God's blessings. Number seven, to develop his saints for greater usefulness. You have to look no further than a man named Peter for this one. Peter had foot and mouth disease. The only time he opened his mouth was put the other foot in. And he denied Jesus three times. And he learned from that. And he grew from that. And on the day of the Pentecost, he preached about Jesus. And 3,000 people were saved. And he went on to do many, many, many more things to the glory of God. Peter is the example of this to develop us to better usefulness. Sometimes we go through trials so that we can learn and grow so that when a time comes in the future, we can be used in a better way because we learn from that test. And finally, number eight, to enable us to help others in their trials. Sometimes we go through trials so that other people can learn from us so that when they go through it, it's not as hard or difficult or we can have the ability to encourage them. Paul writes this to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. We will go through testing. We will go through things in our lives that we don't think we can bear. 
The hope is that you come out on the other side and when other people are going through the same thing, you can minister to them in their time of need. Just like other people may be ministering to you in your time of need when you've gone through things that seemed like it was too hard to bear. We're here for each other, right? As followers of Christ, we're here to encourage each other. We're here to strengthen each other. We're here to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with each other. Because of these trials, we must benefit, we benefit from what our faith does and why we go through these trials helps us grow our faith to become better followers of Christ. And it's vital that we develop in our minds and in our hearts a proper response to those trials so that when they do come and we are faced with it, we are able to say we got this because not because of ourselves, but because we've been encouraged by God's word and we're being encouraged by God. God gives us a prescription through James to help us when those trials come. How do I have a joyful attitude during trials? <laughs> do you realize that James, that's what James is saying, get happy when you face trials of any kind? Now, okay, I know. Count it all joy is one way to write it. And I know it's not giddiness, okay? Realize this is not giddiness. This is not like happy hysteria that something great is happening to you, but it's also not you don't doom and gloom yourself when something happens to you. You... How do you respond when trials come? Do you look at it and go, oh man, why me? I don't deserve this. Why not them? There are many reactions that we could have during trials, and there are many reactions that are right reactions, and there are more reactions that are wrong reactions. And most of the time, it seems like we, people get the wrong reaction because when a trial comes, they get bitter, they get angry, or they explode on Facebook. Trials are things that break the pattern of peace and comfort and joy and happiness in someone's life. Trials are the idea of putting someone or something to the test. Notice that no one specific type of trial, there are various trials is what James tells us. Consider pure joy when you face various kinds of trials. Because the, you know the test of your faith will do, produce per perseverance. Our response is to have joy. Some translations use the adjective pure or unmixed or complete, which is a good adjective to add to it. Have pure joy. Have complete joy. It would be easy to act happy when you face a trial. But the whole time you're getting your teeth, getting your hopes up, that you're in gritting your teeth, that you would get through it. What God wants us to do is to look and go, it's hard, it's difficult, but I know in the back of my mind, it's good. In our testing, we must realize they are not liabilities, but privileges. 
that are ultimately beneficial and not harmful. When we face trials in this way, we discover the greatest part of trial is how it draws us closer to God and it should draw us closer to his word. Paul said it best in Philippians when he wrote, not that I'm speaking on being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know what it is to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then he gives us the verse that I used to use when I get down on the weightlifting bench in high school and try to max out. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, I was young and dumb at one time in my life. As you know, I'm trying to press up 350 pounds, and I'm like, ah, and I can't get it up. And I'm like, I guess I can't do all things, you know? We can do all things. See, Paul talked about being content and having nothing. He's been talking about being ha- great in abundance. He knows what it's like to be in both situations, and he knows how the, how the true secret is, I can do all things through Christ. I can't do all things through my own strength. I can't do all things through my abilities. I can't do all things through my education. I can't do all things through my money. I can't do all things and through what I have. I can only do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's where we get the power. That's where we get the ability to have a good, joyful attitude in trials. You want to have that? You got to realize where the source of power and strength comes from. It doesn't come from anything that you have. It comes from everything that God has for you. The question is, how do you have an understanding mind? How do you have that understanding mind? Verse 3 For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The word translated steadfastness could, in some translations, is endurance or perseverance. Perseverance is the word I learned when I memorized this passage of Scripture. The idea is that we will be strong and will learn to endure until God is ready to lift the trial off at His appointed time. The word steadfastness is, or endurance or perseverance means that you're going to keep fighting to the end. Keep going no matter what you face. No matter how hard it is, no matter difficult it is, you're going to keep going. As one of our favorite movies, my kids' favorite movies when we watched when they were kids was, we're going to keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Keep going. Let God guide your steps through every step of the way of this trial, of what you're going through. You're going to be steadfast. You're going to persevere. You're going to keep going. This is what enabled Paul to tell Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do, for I, but I am not ashamed, for I know 
whom I believed, and I am convinced he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. The idea of internal security comes from this verse of Scripture that we are secured in Christ for all of our lives. And we understand what he does to help us and secure us. We are able to have joy in those trials because we know what Christ endured for us on the cross, what we just celebrated at communion. We see what he did for us and we're able to look at the trial that is facing us and we're able to go through it because we know what he went through. How do you have steadfastness? Verse 4 says, And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Many people do not want to be submissive in the world we live in today. They want what they want. They want to get it now, and they'll complain about it if they don't get it. The problem is that we as Christians have developed sometimes the same attitude. We want what we want, and we'll complain about it until we get it. And that's not what we're called to do as followers of Christ. People go through their testing and go through it complaining, kicking and screaming, hollering, yelling, angry, mad, bitter. People fall away from faith because of testing in their lives. They go through hardship and they realize that their faith probably didn't really matter to them and probably never really was real. The only way through anything in life is through it. The Lord does not promise a bypass around it. Sometimes he gives you a bypass around something, but he doesn't promise a bypass around it. What he does promise is that he will be there with you every step of the way to help you endure. That is why joy is such an essential through trial, so that we don't lose our focus on God, the one who helps us get through the situation. David said, O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in the things too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a wanted child, Rest against his mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. That's a pretty good attitude to have. David, through his life, had faced many challenges that would have easily made him bitter, would have made him angry at God. And through everything he faced, through everything he did wrong himself, no matter what he faced, Ultimately, he had the submissive attitude that God was in control of everything. And he had learned to go through the things that God allowed in his life with an attitude like that. See, here's one thing you got to realize about trials. Either God sends it, God allows it, or God lessens it. Job is the example of God allowing a trial. 
Sometimes God sends a trial because we're sinful and we do sinful things and the consequences that God has put in place that he sends go into effect. And sometimes God looks at it and goes, you know what, I'm not going to make it as bad as it is. Or it could be. God wants us to be complete and perfect. The word perfect is not the idea of sinless perfection, but the idea of spiritual maturity. When we go through testing, it should drive us to deeper communion and greater faith in Christ. When this happens, it produces a stable, godly, and righteous character. Paul told the believers in Philippi, press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything uh, anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. We should be seeking to become perfected. Perfected in the idea that we should be seeking to become what God wants us to be. To become the full version of what God wants us to be here on earth in the world we live in. The best version of what God wants us to be here on earth in the world we live in. That's what we should be seeking all the time. We should be seeking the perfect. Ultimately, we'll get to the perfect perfect. But here on earth, we should be seeking to become more mature to become what God wants us to be. We should be complete, carries the idea of being made whole. Y'all know this. You get a pie. If there's a piece missing, it's not a whole pie. It's a partial pie, right? You want the whole pie. We want to be full, complete Christians with every piece properly put into its place. So we are to be perfect, complete. We are to be lacking nothing. James kind of wanted to get his point across, didn't he? He wants you to be perfect. He wants you to be complete. He wants you to lack nothing. There's nothing, there's nothing missing in those words. There's nothing missing in those terms. He wants, God wants us to be perfect, complete, lacking nothing, full of who he is through us. Christ gave us the supreme example of this going through the trial with the right attitude. Here's Christ knowing that he's about to be put on a cross died. He knows he's going to be whipped. He knows the crown of thorns is coming. He knows everything that's coming, and he looks up to God, sweating drops of blood because of the, and I think it's most, his most human moment when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's standing there, not my will be done, but yours. I think that's, a, if he, his humanity came out, and he was like, I, he's realizing the gravity of everything he's about to face. And he's like, I don't want to go through this, but it's not up to me, it's up to you. That should be our attitude. That's not an easy attitude to have. Yeah, Jesus was perfect. <laughs> That's not an easy attitude to have. Sometimes we fail, sometimes we fall down, but God does offer forgiveness. God does offer restoration. There's many teachers that will teach, Bible, Bible teachers out there that will teach you that any trial is supposed to be rebuked. It's supposed to be prayed against. It's supposed to be fought against. It's supposed to be, it shouldn't happen to you, but if you're a follower of Christ, you shouldn't face those things. Yeah, that's not what James is telling us here. Every trial should be looked at as an opportunity to grow. 
So we're to be joyful about the various trials that we face. We are to have an understanding mind about the trials that we are to face. And we are to be submissive in those trials with the understanding that we will, he will make us, it will make us perfect, complete, so we lack nothing. The final part is, verses 5 through 8, James tells us that we are to have a believing heart. A believing heart is a comprehensive phrase that sums up the next four verses here. We are to have wisdom. God wants us to have wisdom. The way we get wisdom is to ask for it. You want to know wisdom in a trial? What to think? How to act? You ask for it. That's pretty easy, isn't it? I don't do it either. We have wisdom in the trial. God, give us wisdom. We may understand the idea of wisdom here is not philosophical wisdom that comes from learning. He's talking to a Jewish audience, so it's, it's not to be their understanding of wisdom. The wisdom that is gained from the pure and peaceable absolutes of God's will revealed in his word and there to be lived out. That type of wisdom comes from God. And allows us to be joyful and submissive. To understand what God wants in a situation and how God wants us to act and what God wants us to say and what God wants us to do in a situation is the best part of wisdom. And we should ask God when we're going through anything, God, give me wisdom through what I'm going through. In times of testing, we must have this understanding of Solomon. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Pretty simple instructions, right? This is a wisdom that can only can truly be gained when we have true Trust in God as our, as, and what he's done. When we have a better understanding of God's word and we are able to go through those testings and those trials, relying on what he has promised in his word. To go without saying that times of trial should make us embrace a life of prayer greater than we do in normal life. We should be embracing a great life of prayer anyway. But when we go through trials, it should drive us to a deeper level of prayer. We should have peace. We should have comfort. And we should have wisdom. And if we don't have it, then we should ask him for it. Because we trust that he is a good father who loves us and cares about us. And he tells us to ask. Let him ask is not a suggestion from James here. It's a command of what we are supposed to do in those situations. He doesn't look at you and say, well, when you're going through trials, you probably should ask. No. When you're going through trials, you should ask. You better ask. God has an abundance and is willingly and freely able to give us from that abundance to help us in those trials. The thing is that we have to be humble enough to ask him. It's part of us trusting and asking God to give us what we need to endure through trials. The thing is that 
when, we, when he gives it, he gives it liberally and generously. Jesus said it best when he said this, ask and it will be given unto you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God only knows how to give generously. When we ask God for wisdom, he does not look down at us and go, you imbecile, you should know this by now. That's me. You should have figured this out by now. Don't you understand? And God looks down at us and goes, okay, here you go. James now turns to the, this waiting child that is supposed to ask in faith when we ask God for wisdom. We are to ask with confidence, knowing that he is loving God that will give to those who ask. We're also to ask with no doubting. We are not to doubt the abilities of God in those situations. That's probably our biggest hindrance, isn't it? The thing that probably hurts us the most is sometimes we just God's out there somewhere, and we don't know for sure if he's really doing anything, and so we don't have the confidence that God's really working, and the trust is maybe not there so much. And, and, and No, God's saying, hey, I'm here. I love you. I sent my son to die for you, remember? My son promised you if you... I've come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly, right? Remember those? Remember those promises that I've given to you in my word? We are to ask with confidence, trusting and knowing that God is a good father who cares for us. And without faith, it is impossible to please him forever, whoever would draw near to God, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The person who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. In other words, they have been flipping attitude towards their requests. They may say they trust God, but they don't really trust God. They're not totally engulfed in engulfed in what God is doing in their lives and they're not truly living the way God wants them to live and they kind of just flippantly say, God, I trust you, but they don't really mean it and they're tossed about by the wave. How many of you have been tossed in the waves? You've been in the ocean, you've been tossed in waves? I had the opportunity when I was in high school to go to Hawaii. We went to the island of Molokai we, didn't go, we did end up in Honolulu, but we went to Molokai, and I got to go to this beach. It's called Papahoka Beach. White sands, beautiful beach, one of the beautiful, most beautiful beaches. And the thing about it is nobody's there because it's not a great beach to go swimming at. You go out and you sit on it, and, and, and you can go swimming on it, but the problem is with that beach is it has one of the biggest, strongest undertow of any beach in the world. 
And so we go to this beach, and we were with some locals, and the locals are like, hey, when you go to this beach, there is undertow. You might get dragged under. Here's how you survive being tossed around. Don't fight it. Don't try to swim against it. Let it carry you. And eventually, you'll pop up further out in the ocean than you were before. But here's a good thing. It won't be so far that you can't swim back to shore. Okay? You're not going to be miles away. You're going to be, you know, feet, maybe some yards away. And a couple of us got it. We're in there playing on the beach, and we're, you know, we're riding the sandboards, we're riding the waves, we're jumping around, and all of a sudden you see somebody go, Phew! and, you know, you just kind of, and I, I got pulled, I got, you know, I'm like, okay, relax, they told us relax. How do you relax when you're freaking out? I haven't figured that one out yet, but for some reason, you know, I, I listened to what they said, I listened to the wisdom that they gave us, the locals gave us, because they know that beach, they swim there, they know it, and relaxed, and I kind of floated around and got tossed, and then all of a sudden, boom, you pop out of the water, and you're like, whoa, I'm about 50 feet further away from the beach than I was a few minutes, a few seconds ago. We're going to get tossed. We're going to get thrown into those situations like that. The waves are going to come crashing in on life. You have a choice. You have a choice to listen and, or to try to do your own thing and do it in your own strength and your own ability and fight and lose a battle. Or you have the ability to listen to the wisdom that has been given to you from your father and ride it through. It's your choice. My hope and my prayer is this, that you realize how good your God is, how much he loves you and cares about you and wants to perfect you to what he desires you to be. And part of that is for you to go through things that seem impossible. Trusting him through it all. It's your choice. So as a follower of Christ, how do we navigate through this? It seems unfair. We get knocked down. We go through these things. And we trust the God who is able to carry us through. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this day and we thank you for your goodness towards us. And we pray that we would walk in knowledge and understanding of how good you really are through your son, Jesus Christ, and what you've done for us. Give us wisdom as we face those things that seem impossible so that we can be better followers of you. In your son's name, amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. 
Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.